Today's reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1-10 through 10 and 19-22. through 22. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and his, the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, as such the all, uh, all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people have said to you, and <laughs> it is not... You have that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day that I brought them up and out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing that to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard what the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. Good morning, church. Pastor Sharon here. It's good to be together with you in this space in this time. You know, as I record this sermon on Friday morning, the turmoil of our national elections continues. We don't know the outcome yet. We're uncertain about the future of our country. And this is an important, a pivotal time in the nation right now. But we do know, we do know that there is a leader on the throne, Jesus Christ, who holds all things together. And so before we begin this sermon this morning, I'd like us to pray, to pray for our nation, for the church in this time, to pray that we would see Jesus at work even in this time. Let's pray together. Lord of heaven and earth, we begin by giving you thanks. We give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the privileges we have of living in this country and in this time. We don't take that lightly, Lord. And yet we acknowledge, even in the turmoil and uncertainty of the future, that you are king over all. Lord, because you are king, may we follow in your kingdom ways as we walk forward during this time. May we be courageous to speak truth to power. May we be compassionate to stand in solidarity with those who are on the margins of society. May we follow your example to engage in the world as it is and point to the kingdom of God. And so we pray that you would thwart any plans of evil or violence that would separate us as country, as citizens in this country. Keep our eyes on you, even as we walk in wholeness and integrity, 
as citizens of this country. We pray this under your sovereign power, under your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, during this fall of political tension and various claims to our allegiance, we have been going through a sermon series called No Other King. Because we recognize there are plenty of things that call for our allegiance in this time, but that God is the ultimate authority over all things, and that the reign of Jesus is what we've been invited into. This is overarching good news, no matter what happens in the world around us. And part of recognizing this good news, that there is no other king, is that we have to challenge our human tendency to put our trust in lesser things. And that's exactly what we see in the text for today from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 8 that was read for us. It gives us a specific example when competing allegiances come into view. Now, before I unpack the text in detail, I just want to give a disclaimer. I recognize the danger of taking a biblical story out of the whole narrative and trying to make an application on it. We must always be cautious about using a text out of context. And that applies here as well, because the theme of the monarchy in Israel is a multifaceted thing that is woven throughout the scriptures. And it doesn't, it isn't limited to just this one incident. And yet I trust that the Holy Spirit will take this text, this story, and apply it to us today to steer us into faithful living in our time. So if you have your Bibles, either in print or digitally, I encourage you to open them again to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel is part of the Old Testament. It's the ninth book in the first group of books that are historical books in that Old Testament. little of background for this text. This is the period of the judges in Israel's history when God had raised up specific men and women to serve as judges to lead the people. And Samuel is the last and greatest judge and prophet of them all. He hears from God and he speaks it to the people. And he has been walking as leader of Israel for quite a while. He had called them back to a renewed commitment to God. He had been the one who prayed and offered sacrifices and provided leadership so that Israel could subdue their enemies, the Philistines, and restore captured cities into places of peace. But in this text, Samuel is getting older, and he has appointed his sons as his successors to lead Israel in God's ways. But as we see in verse 3, His sons didn't have the same commitment to God that Samuel had. It says they had turned aside after dishonest gain. These sons had lined their pockets with bribes and they perverted God's call for justice in their community. So the elders of Israel come to find Samuel at the place where he dwelled. Now, I want you to notice even in this that there is always there is already a structure of government in this place. God is not anti-government. He sets in place structures that are for the well-being of the community. And these elders of Israel were representatives of the people. And so they came to Samuel, their leader. 
but they have a demand for a change. Yes, they had some legitimate concerns. Samuel was getting older, and they recognized that his sons weren't, they were corrupt. They were following their own ways. But the solution to this problem was, or their demand for it, was not as harmless as it sounds. What was their demand? Give us a king, Samuel. Give us a king. Appoint someone who is going to be the figurehead for our our nation. Someone who will make us look like the nations around us. We want someone who is going to lead the charge. Someone who's going to be out there in front of us. Someone to follow. And the scripture tells us that Samuel was displeased. This this demand was displeasing to him. Doesn't mean he was just personally um, troubled, although it might have been that as as a leader. But he, that phrase can also be translated: this demand was evil in his sight. Samuel recognized that something deeper than disapproval of his leadership was at stake. Samuel recognizes that this is a serious demand from the people. And what does he do? It says this in verse 6. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. I'm struck by that right now. I'm struck by Samuel's response as a leader when demands political concerns come his way. And I wonder if we all might follow that example a little more fully. When we've been displeased, or even when we recognized evil in the political requests and conflicts around us, do we pray first? Or do we rave about it? Our political disgust? Do we post our thoughts on social media? Do we gather people around us who will agree with us? Samuel, as a leader, did something so basic and so holy that we can learn from it. He went to the Lord in prayer. And when we face these kinds of encounters in our communities that are displeasing to God, that we recognize as evil, let's go to God first in prayer. So in that conversation with God, Samuel hears this. God knows what the real issue was. It wasn't simply that they were rejecting Samuel as leader. No, they were rejecting God as their king. The demand of these elders on behalf of the people reflected this tepid trust in God, a dissatisfaction with him as their leader. You know, God had made a covenant with the people of Israel to be their king, to provide for all they needed. And they'd been invited into this covenant to depend on God for everything. God has set his affection on Israel as a distinct nation to show the rest of the world what it looks like to be in relationship with God and have the blessings of God. They weren't intended to be like other nations who look to their earthly kings to secure blessings. And so by making this demand to be like other nations, they aren't just rejecting Samuel. They're rejecting their covenant relationship with God as their king. They don't want a sovereign God. They want an earthly king. Of course, from the very beginning of God's reign, this had been the case. God had just not been enough 
for them. And you can see that there in verse 8. Because from Moses' leadership until this time, they'd accepted, accepted God's deliverance and God's provision, but they'd always kept a few other gods on the side. It says this, God says this, As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you, Samuel. They haven't turned away from you, Samuel. They've turned away from me. Now, perhaps these the people weren't rejecting God outright, but they had certainly given some demands, some other things along the way. We might remember those things. A golden calf, a demand for meat instead of manna, a demand for a continuous supply of water, a demand for security from all their threats. Yes, God, we want you in our lives, but we want to share in the covenant of blessing, but... We also want our demands for security and provision, prosperity met on our terms. Can you recognize, can you and I recognize those demands in our own lives? I don't think we reject God completely either. But we often look around for other sources of security, other sources of provision We don't really want a sovereign God, especially if he makes demands of us. We want to be the ones in control and tell God what we need. And in doing so, we reject him as king. You know, there's a tension in this whole passage and further on through the book of 1 Samuel between this request, which was a rejection of God, and then God giving in to their demands. It's a puzzling tension. As in God's words to Samuel, it's there as well. He, God calls Samuel to listen to their request for a king, but rightly saying they are rejecting my rule in their lives. And scholars have noted this tension as the Israel uh, transitions from a theocracy where God is the ruler to a monarchy where God, uh, where king, an earthly king rules. And he has warnings about that. Of course, we've seen it earlier in Deuteronomy. Moses reflected on Israel's desire for king. But at that time, it was a king that was compatible with the rule of God. God was going to continue to rule over his people and be their great king. So could it be there could be a theocracy if there was also a monarchy? It's worth noting that even in this passage, God gives the people a warning. You want a king? Well, this is what it's going to look like. And if we had time, we could read through verses 11 through 18. But right there in verse 9, uh, God says this to Samuel. Listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights we see that their demand for a king is going to come at a cost. Over and over, God warns the people that this king will take. It says the king will take this, the king will take that, the king will take your sons and your daughters to serve in his regime, the king will take a tenth of your flocks, your fields, your crops, the king will take. And the tenth that Israelites had devoted to God out of all they were given was now going to be paralleled and competing with a tenth of all things 
as a demand from a king. Of course, God's warnings came to be realized as Israel's earthly kings claimed rights over the the nation they ruled. Most kings are takers, not givers. They come to be served and not to serve. And if Israel wants a king, they must realize he will be a taker, not a giver. So whenever we put someone ourselves on the throne, in the sovereign place, other than God, other than Jesus, that sovereign, that idol will also demand things of us. There are things they're going to ask of us. And we, when we allow other kings to have supreme place, other idols to take the rightful place of God, we can find that their demands are greater than their rewards. So what about us? This ended with Israel getting a king. And if you were to read on in 1 Samuel, Saul starts out pretty great. And then things go haywire. But what about us in our own calls for loyalty and allegiance? Can we see ourselves in this demand and desire for a king? I think about the desires that are at the root of this request from the people to Samuel. They were looking for security. They were looking for stature in the world. They were looking for a visible figurehead. They were looking to be somebody in the world. And I think those kinds of desires are also things that beckon us. We can see traces of this desire for a different king, an idolatrous desire beckoning our own allegiances. We put our own well-being and our advancement in the world above love for God and love for neighbor. We look for a president. We look for a leader who promises to advance our needs and secure our place in the community. And we are easily seduced by propaganda and politicians who promise to deliver what we want. We allow other ideologies to have rule in our lives rather than the call of Jesus and the demands and privileges of being part of his kingdom. You know, this question of kingship becomes very real in our personal lives and in our community as a church. For myself, when I consider who's really on the throne of my life, I recognize the temptation to shape God to my liking, to address my desires. Sometimes it's a desire for acclaim or for comfort, a desire for favorable stature before others, a desire for tranquility over truth. And these are desires that beckon all of us. Yes, we still want God on the scene. We're not rejecting him completely. We may make verbal assent to God as king, as ruler of our lives, leader of our church. But then we pull back and we create a God that we can control that meets our demands. Sometimes we use our money, our vote, even our religious opinions to shape a king that makes sense to us. 
And we end up giving our allegiance to systems that simply preserve our own prosperity and our own security rather than allegiance to the kingdom of God. So the Israelites said, give us a king. And we say the same thing today. Lord, give us a king. And God has responded by giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, even as we await the outcome of a presidential election, we have a stark opportunity to settle the question of allegiance, of who is our king. Because if Jesus is truly king, we can entrust ourselves to his reign, regardless of who sits in the White House. We can invite his priorities to shape our community, to shape our church, while acknowledging the rightful role of government in the affairs of people. You know, Jesus' message and Jesus' methods always pointed to the kingdom of God. He said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek God as king first. Seek God's righteous ways first. And then he will take care of the other things that we need, that we even desire. When we cry out for a king, may we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who came as king to serve, who came as Lord to show us a better way. If it is Christ alone that we center our lives on, he's king over all, he demands, he deserves our full allegiance. Not because he's a tyrant king, but because he's a king who came to serve and to give himself for us. May we seek his kingdom first and recognize all the times that we settle for lesser kings. I want us to pray together as we end this morning. Oh Lord, you are king of kings. You are over all. And the greatest example of your kingship came in the way you came to serve others. May we continue to look to you with our full allegiance. Help us through your Holy Spirit to recognize the ways we've settled for lesser gods. We've put other things on the throne. And as we come back to centering ourselves on you, May we give praise to this wonderful wonderful truth that in you alone we find our joy, our peace, our future. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.